Hello. Welcome to Discovering Jazz. My name's Larry Sademan. My goal is for us to discover jazz old and new together by listening to a wide array of selections and exploring different jazz styles and topics related to jazz. We'll learn more about what it is, what it isn't, how it's developed, and what we can listen for to enhance our experience. This program is on Trent Radio, 92.7 on your dial, and Peterborough Independent Podcasters. For the next 60 minutes, Discovering Jazz. Of the 40 solos talked about in the Jazz Times article where prominent jazz musicians and scholars chose the solos that most inspired them, six of them were by John Coltrane. Last week I played Crescent. Today I want to start with the classic giant steps. Jazz critics look for different words to describe solos like this one. I mean, if they just keep saying amazing over and over again, pretty soon the reader's going to get bored, right? So you get words like what writer Aidan Levy uses when he tries to describe what Coltrane does in this piece of art. He talks about the architectonics of Coltrane building a house in under five minutes. I had to Google that one. And he refers to it as a vertiginous solo. It means a whirling or turning action that can cause vertigo, a dizziness that comes with heights. A great metaphor, I think. Keeping that word in mind allows you to discover if at the height of Coltrane's solo, you notice yourself getting dizzy. Levy also says about this tune, and I'll quote, With giant steps, Coltrane supplanted Cherokee as the litmus test for aspiring improvisers, packing so many harmonic substitutions into one progression that at first blush, consummate pianist Tommy Flanagan could barely eke his way through the changes. So I'm going to pay attention to Flanagan's piano solo and see for myself whether I can detect through my untrained ears any struggle he has eking his way through the changes. And I'll also look forward to how my head reacts to the heights that Coltrane reaches in the solo. John Coltrane, Giant Steps. Thank you. 
Giant Steps from 1961. John Coltrane on tenor sax, Tommy Flanagan piano, Paul Chambers on bass guitar, Art Taylor on drums. Yep, pretty incredible. I don't know if Tommy Flanagan got lost in those changes during his piano solo or not. It didn't sound to me like a bad solo, but it certainly paled in energy from what Coltrane was doing. John Coltrane certainly did squeeze a lot into that less-than-five-minute block. Okay, before I go any further in this program on the jazz solo, where mostly American jazz musicians have been heralded for their brilliant work, I want to squeeze something Canadian into the show. So I put a request up on the Jazz Peterborough Facebook page about some of the favorite solos from people who read that page and got a few great suggestions. One was from Toronto-slash-Calgary-based composer, band leader, and saxophonist Dennis Kwok. He suggested Guido Basso on Portrait of Jenny, where he played with Rob McConnell and the Boss Brass on a 1976 album simply called The Jazz Album. He said, I'd say this is a more obscure selection, but definitely a gem from a Canadian icon. It turns out I have that album and remember quite enjoying that flugelhorn piece. I don't think it's a solo that breaks any new ground, although what do I know, but it sure is great to listen to. Here it is, Portrait of Jenny, featuring Guido Basso on flugelhorn, and what a tone he gets out of that instrument.
A Portrait of Jenny, a tune from a film of the same name with a best-known version being by Nat King Cole in 1949. That version is by Rob McConnell and the Brass Band, featuring a stellar solo by Guido Basso. Thank you, Dennis Kwok, for suggesting that one. This is Discovering Jazz coming your way thanks to Peterborough Independent Podcasters and Trent Radio. Next, I have a lot to say about the solos and the tune I'm about to play and about the recording itself. I'm going to play the whole tune. It's from the Milestones album from Miles Davis, released in 1958 and recorded shortly before the classic Kind of Blue album, which supposedly introduced modal jazz, jazz based on a scale rather than a chord sequence to mainstream jazz. But this tune, more or less the title tune of the album, was Side One, Track One, and it was very popular and definitely modal. And some claim that the honor for founder of modal jazz should go to Juan Teasel for Caravan, written in 1936. But I digress. I'm supposed to be talking about jazz solos here, and in this one, it's the first solo on the tune by Cannonball Adderley that pianist Fred Hirsch rates as one of the great solos of all time. I'll play it, but also notice at the very end of this tune, during the last minute, Miles Davis makes a major note flub. Not uncommon, and it was left on the record, which is more uncommon, and, uh, you listen to the alternate alternate take on the CD version of Milestones, and that flub isn't there. So maybe it was because of the quality of the Cannonball Adderley solo that Miles decided to keep that take and, uh, despite the flub. And not only that, the tune really slows down. Compare the last minute with the first minute. I'll play the whole tune and then tell you what some of what those who know jazz say about that solo as well as the later John Coltrane solo. But I do want to quote something that one commenter said about all three of the solos by Cannonball Adderley, Miles Davis, and John Coltrane in that order. He says, When Miles starts his solo, he recycles the same notes used by Cannonball. He picks up where he left. Same happens for Train. Miles finishes with a certain phrase, and Train plays a quick run that emphasizes, although in his own style, what Miles played. So when you listen to this whole track this first time, listen to how the solos interact with each other, demonstrating how great jazz solos really do require that each player listen to the other. Here is the tune. It was originally called Miles, then later changed to Milestones when the album was re-released.
So did you hear that trumpet flub about 30 to 35 seconds before the tune ended? Did you also notice that it really slowed down? That's Miles, a.k.a. Milestones, with Miles Davis on trumpet. He's also composed it. Cannonball Adderley, alto sax, Paul Chambers bass, Philly Joe Jones drums, John Coltrane tenor sax, and Red Garland piano. But the theme of this program is the jazz solo, so I'm going to give you some comments people made about the first solo by Cannonball Adderley, then play it again, and let you decide if their comments fit. Master pianist Fred Hirsch in Jazz Times magazine states, Cannonball jumps right out of the gate with a perfect alto sound and complete command. He is able to play melodically, both within the mode and also by flirting with playing outside the changes. There are so many memorable phrases in this solo. It's simple yet sophisticated, and his energy and the happy feel of his beat are infectious. Another commentator talking about it after a YouTube recording of the tune wasn't so accommodating. He or she wrote, Modal music wasn't Cannonball's wheelhouse, so he struggled on this album, playing it like bebop. Train's approach to this style was what ended up becoming the most influential. Unquote. Another comment on the YouTube posting stated the opposite. Cannonball Adderley, in my humbled opinion, outfinesses Coltrane on this track. The off-rhythm, the bending and squealing of notes, the twisted timing, then returning to syncopation ingenious. So here is the intro in the Cannonball Adderley solo for Milestones, so you can judge for yourself.
This is Discovering Jazz on Peterborough Independent Podcasters and Trent Radio, CFFF 92.7 FM. I'm Larry Sademan, learning about jazz along with you. Today, I'm learning and hopefully teaching you some of what I learn about the jazz solo. I haven't featured much guitar on this series so far. In fact, I don't think there's been any. Although last week, there's a bit of a banjo on the Louis Armstrong track. A young jazz artist named Nur Felder heralded by National Public Radio as being the next big guitarist when asked to choose an essential solo, talked about Charlie Christian's solo on Swing to Bob. He writes, This 1941 improvisation by one of the earliest electric guitarists in history still stuns me. The interplay between Charlie and drummer Kenny Clark is electrifying, and in a moment, with a sense of rhythm and phrasing that would sound modern if played on a gig today, Yet it has that old-school sense of narrative structure and dynamics that is more rare now than then. There is real storytelling here, so adventurous and unique. And that tone, it has everything. Let's hear it from 1941, Charlie Christian and his solo on Swing to Bop. Thank you. 
Charlie Christian with Kenny Clark on drums. We haven't had any vocals in this series, so let's remedy that. It's a 1954 album on MRC where Sarah Vaughan was paired with the amazing trumpeter who died so young, Clifford Brown. The tune is their version of September Song. Also on the album are Paul Quinchette on tenor sax, Herbie Mann on flute, Jimmy Jones piano, and Joe Benjamin on bass, and the ubiquitous Roy Haynes on drums. In the Jazz Times article on the 40 improvisations you need to know, it was chosen by saxophonist, clarinetist, and flautist Jared Sims for both Sarah Vaughan's vocal performance and Clifford Brown's trumpet solo. Sims writes about how Vaughan's voice soars beautifully over sparse horn riffs and the relaxed warm rhythm section. And he talks about her wide range in sonority, including low husky tones, a velvety mid-range, and shimmering high notes. And he says that Brown's solo is also memorable. Upbeat, repeated rhythmic figures on the muted trumpet fuel forward motion. This solo is a remarkable example of his phrasing, inflections, articulation, dynamics, and ornamentation. September Song with Sarah Vaughan and Clifford Brown. For it's a long, long while From May to December But the days grow short When you reach September Thank you. 
I must say that along with Sarah Vaughan's gorgeous singing and Clifford Brown's trumpet, I really like that flute solo by Herbie Mann. Let's do a major switch around. A man considered the father of avant-garde jazz, also known as free jazz, thanks to the title of a 1960 album that the saxophonist put out that was called Free Jazz. I'm talking about Ornette Coleman. This is from his third album, which was titled The Shape of Jazz to Come. Jazz guitarist Steve Kahn suggested this one. It's called Chronology, and it's from 1959, and here's what Kahn says about this recording. The song strikes the listener as being so familiar, very much like the kind of small group bebop heads that no doubt influenced Ornette. It's as if everything makes perfect sense, yet all the customary rules for soloing are being broken, not for belligerence or whimsy, but because this is the only way he knows how to play. Bar lines are shattered, intonation is in its own world. Still, his playing swings like crazy. He darts in and out of the F major key center, adding a touch of blues here and there. And one can't forget the conversational spirit Ornette shares with drummer Billy Higgins. Okay, this has me interested. I hear a lot about jazz solos are a conversation and often will tell a story. Sometimes it's a conversation with other soloists, other times with a rhythm section. Steve Kahn hears a conversation with the drummer. Let's listen and see if we can hear it. Ornette Coleman, Chronology.
Okay, I don't know how much of that is truly a conversation with the drummer. Sometimes it sounds like they are both repeating the same punchline of a joke, simultaneously and repetitively. But drummer Billy Higgins and saxophonist Ornette Coleman do sound like they are playing nicely together. Same with trumpeter Don Cherry and bassist Charlie Hayden. How about some piano now? The Jazz Times article mentions solos by Chick Corea, Bill Evans, Herbie Hancock, Lenny Tristano, and McCoy Tyner, as well as the Canadian pianist that soloed on last week's program, Paul Blay. I decided to go with McCoy Tyner this week, primarily because I saw him live many years ago in Edmonton and was so impressed with the power of his playing. 
This is from an album called The Real McCoy, and it's from 1967. It was selected by Helen Sung, a pianist from Texas who is of Chinese origin. She writes, When I first heard McCoy's solo on his iconic Passion Dance, I remember being exhilarated and fascinated. Having started playing jazz only a few years before, I was amazed at how he was able to play over one chord with the same directional energy and inevitability he used to solo over changes. His phrasing, the the shapes of his lines, and how he navigates harmony are uniquely his own, compelling, irresistible, a game-changer." Okay, we don't have time to hear the whole thing, but we'll hear a a bit of Passion Dance, McCoy Tyner.
Okay, I see what Helen Sung means when she talks about McCoy Tyner's ability to play over one chord with such directional energy. You don't even realize that most of that solo is over a single chord because of all the harmonic variations he's throwing in there. McCoy Tyner with Passion Dance from 1967, also playing her Joe Henderson, tenor sax, Ron Carter on bass, and drummer Elvin Jones. And speaking of drummers... Only one drummer was mentioned in that Jazz Times list of essential solos. Guess who? The one we just heard, Elvin Jones. I confess, I don't really understand drumming. I can listen to a flashy drum solo. I don't know what the person is doing. Same thing with those complex beats that the drummer's often using. So this is from an album by organist Larry Young, who I've always really liked. Elvin Jones' drum solo was described by drummer Ralph Peterson this way. This solo is a masterpiece for many reasons. Elvin's unique ability to stretch and expand the feeling of time while maintaining form and structure is on full display. He not only maintains the form, but also references the melodic phrase of the tune. For a long time, I was under the impression that Elvin turned the beat around during the solo. However, I began to see that he would play through entire sections of the tune on what seemed like the wrong side of the beat, then suddenly make the phrase correction needed to land on his feet." Unquote. Interesting. I look forward to hearing this Larry Young recording of Monk's Dream from 1967 with Elvin Jones on drums doing a featured solo, plus Larry Young on Hammond B3 organ, Woody Shaw on trumpet, and Joe Henderson on tenor sax. Tune is composed by Thelonious Monk. You've been listening to Discovering Jazz, courtesy of Peterborough Independent Podcasters and Trent Radio in Peterborough. I'm Larry Sademan. Next week, I'm not through yet with the jazz solo. So part three of the jazz solo. Bye for now.